And there's certainly nothing wrong with just having fun. It probably has a therapeutic value in that, just like any other socialization. Welcome to the Life Story Coach podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Today, I want to welcome Esther Gieschen onto the show. She's joining us from the University of Wisconsin in Superior, and she's here to talk to us about the International Institute for Reminiscence and Life Review. That is, <laughs> that's quite a mouthful. Um, and this is a program that is run out of the University of Wisconsin at Superior, and it sounds like something that definitely we as life story professionals might be interested in. So welcome to the Life Story Coach podcast, Esther. Thank you. Well, can you start by telling us a little bit about um, the institute or the program and how it came to be at the university? Sure. Um, back in 1997, there um, was a guy who was a um, psychotherapist in Duluth, and one of his areas of specialty was reminiscence therapy. And so he um, actually, I think that was earlier than that. That was like 1995. Uh, he got the idea to pull together a lot of the leaders in the field of reminiscence and life review and have a conference with them all. And they held that conference here in Superior, Wisconsin at the university. And that was the beginning. And then um, they decided that they ought to form a society. And so they did, and it was not a structured organization. It was a group of people with a common interest. And then they um, decided to have additional conferences, and they started having conferences every other year. And they tied them to um, the Gerontological Society of America conferences, since a lot of the people involved with reminiscence were involved with both. And then in 1997, when um, John Coons, who was the founder and actually was in the position I'm now in with the university, he had moved from being a psychotherapist in Duluth to being a program manager here. Then they wrapped it under continuing ed. And Continuing Ed has operated it as a, a program under our auspices since then. And we're now in a transition period um, for the Institute to become independent from the university so that they will be able to operate as an independent entity, perhaps partnered with somebody else. They haven't decided what the transition is going to be, what it's going to look like, but that's in process. And um, they have another year before they have to decide how they're going to do that. So it's um, exciting opportunity. Well, I'm going to ask you to actually back up there. If you could tell us a little bit about reminiscence and life review, because from from the way that I understand it, that's a whole academic field. And it's it's, uh, I guess, the academic corollary to what we life story professionals do out in the field when we're gathering stories. But I'm sure there's probably some significant differences. So can you start by telling us a little bit about that? We've kind of started looking at things as life story work. And within that life story work, 
um, would include the academic fields of reminiscence and life review and narrative and um, oral history probably comes in there somewhere. And then we have the, you know, various kinds of, of personal history work. And it all involves people's stories in some ways. But with the academic research areas on reminiscence and life review, it's more on the process for the person. Um, you know, a person... Um, reviewing things that have happened to them during their life and putting them in context and reflecting on them and perhaps resolving, um, you know, things that, that they've maybe been ruminating on for a long time, um, often being used to help people um, deal with depression or um heal from from traumatic situations and those kinds of environments so the 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 work in research is often on the value to the person or the healing effects to the person not so much on them sharing it with someone else so when there's reminiscence groups or individual reminiscence sessions um, they're um, maybe working to achieve an integrated rev reminiscence where they're reaching some resolutions um, or they're doing a structured life review they're systematically going through the different stages of their lives and looking at it reflecting on it um, putting putting it in context and um, settling some things and it's not so much on it's often not recorded and it's not to be shared with somebody else for the most part it's it's their own and then you move into the parts where they're recording it to be shared with a few or many when you were talking about it, it's not meant to be shared you're talking about there's no end product that's meant to be shared but just the sharing comes in talking and going through the memories with someone else or with a group right, is that correct right having a, a a listener who a compassionate listener mm -hmm. and um you know who who does appropriate prompts to to help a person go back through things but the you know the i guess the product is the process it's the outcomes of the process as opposed to a tangible book or video or audio recording and that can be done in groups and it you know can be done individually i don't know that you do structured life review in groups very often but certainly there's group reminiscence sessions and one of the students in the last cohort of the reminiscence and life story work certificate did group reminiscence sessions with people who her cancer center served. So they were all people who had been going through cancer treatments and might have more cancer treatments, but had a lot of, you know, reflection that happens when you have a potentially terminal illness. And so she did group reminiscence sessions with them, but there was no product, you know, nothing was recorded mm -hmm. or printed or um, it was not something that was going to be shared with other people for a legacy or the kinds of things that often 
people who write memoirs or do personal histories are looking for. So just the term reminiscence and life review, does that always imply um, a therapy, some sort of therapy or a therapeutic setting? No, I don't think so. Um, there's certainly the reminiscence that's, you know, sort of just sitting around talking about the good old days. That's um, perhaps just fun. And there's certainly nothing wrong with just having fun. It probably has a therapeutic value in that, just like, you know, any other socialization does. So it's not that there always has to be, you know, a therapeutic outcome in the sense that we think of with a clinical practice. But there's, you know, there's many things in life that are therapeutic that aren't therapy. Yes, very true. Well, and, you know, that's something that people out in the field who people who do the same kind of work that I do, it, it's, um, it's always there, the, um, the danger that it a session, an interview session can tip over into something closer to a therapy session, because people are coming um, to us with sometimes painful life stories. Um, it's not just recounting the happy times. You know, I know different people that do, you know, that, that are life story professionals have different ways of dealing with it. Something that I heard um, somebody say was that they set themselves up as being the person that the storyteller could come back to after they had, you know, sort of an emotional response or reaction to something that they were talking about. So rather than you know, getting all in there and emoting with them that we can be the center that they come back to once they've told a story that's maybe, you know, got them in tears or something. But with reminiscence and life review from from the academic standpoint, it goes beyond just looking at it as a therapy. But what does that look like then? Like on the outside of a therapeutic type field? Well, it's used you know, in healthcare. Um, used by nurses, used by social workers and hospice for helping people resolve issues that they've had, helping them put you know their life in perspective, those kinds of things. So it's certainly you know used for its therapeutic effect in those contexts, but it's not clinical therapy. You know, you don't need to have your PhD in psychology, um, but you do need training. You you know you when Barbara Haight developed the structured life review process, you know, she did a, a lot of research and a lot of testing to develop what those steps were and what um, brought the outcomes that were intended to uh, improve people's outlook, to um, help them move on, so to speak, to, I guess, you know, to, to systematically review their life and, the, the listener isn't guiding them in any direction except doing some helpful prompts. But, you know, it has a, an intended outcome of helping them integrate their, their memories. And often um, as they um, integrate those memories, it, it helps them in the present and the future. If you can look back and see how you work through something, for instance, um, and the skills and knowledge and 
resilience and all those things that it took to go on are to do them at the time, you know, it can help people in determining what's important to them moving forward also. Well, and I remember reading quite a while ago that Eric Erickson's, you know, we have the his stages um, of development. And that is that is one of I think that's the last stage that he actually defined as um, where we all come to a point where we need that sort of integration and we do that, we can do that through things like um, reminiscing and making sense of the stories that have um, the stories of our life, because otherwise it's just one big chaotic mess if, if we don't take time to reflect on it at all. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so you said that it's it's not exactly, you know, you're not being guided, but there is the thing called guided autobiography. And does that have anything to do with um, reminiscence and life review? Well, I think. I think it falls in the life story work, you know, under that life story work umbrella. And um, I am, you know, I mean, I am not an academic at all in any of these fields. I'm a program manager. We have a lot of students in the Reminiscence Certificate who also do guided autobiography and do the guided autobiography training through um, Cheryl Swenson, you know, or any of the people that she has trained. And that's kind of a group process of going through different um, points of a person's life. And so it's certainly in there and they, they um, do write down and whether they do anything more than that with sharing it. But um, in my, you know, non-academic way of looking at things, I kind of see guided autobiography as something in between the um, more academic reminiscence and life review and the personal history work because they're really they're really doing it more for themselves than you know for a legacy sometimes it's mm-hmm. the starting point of writing um, a more extensive life story for their children or whoever um, but it's it, it starts out really for themselves and it's a creative generative process so they're actually uh taking part in in the the creative process of doing the writing and um it's not just sitting down and having a conversation i suppose with uh with a personal historian that you've hired to come and do your story for you right and you have that opportunity to talk with other people and get their reflections and share how they um how they see their own memories. So your memories not might not be the same, but sort of how you view them um, can be the same or different. So I think people get a real value out of having other people sharing um, their memories and reflections on the same topic. So these are done in group settings where people are getting together and share. The guided autobiography, yes. Uh-huh. As far as I know, it's always done in group settings. Yeah. There may be exceptions. A few episodes ago, I talked to Marty McNabb, who does um, show in, their show and tell events. She calls them show and tell. And it's where they yes. get together as a group. She goes out in the community, finds a place, a bar or a coffee shop or someplace, and people come together and they have props. They each bring something that they want to talk about, but that's mm-hmm. exactly what it is. They're, they're sharing stories with each right. other. And that is, um, I've, I've, experience that 
in my own business where normally I will do one-on-one interviews with people, but um, occasionally I'll, you know, for whatever reasons, I'll have to interview a group of people. Um, One group was um, a bunch of um, guys who had been in the um, space industry. And they, I mean, these guys were, they're all retired age now. Um, And I went to one of their luncheons because I was working on, on a book about um, one of the one of the directors in the, in the agency. And, oh my gosh, it was just so different. The dynamics were so different when they all, you know, it was a very social setting and there was a lot of just, you know, they're kidding each other and ribbing each other and they've known each other for decades, but you get different kinds of stories then too, when they start bouncing off of each other. And I thought that was, um, that was illuminating for me because it's not something that I normally see. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting how you can have, a group of people. And I think um, many of us who have been at family reunions, for instance, five people will have been at the same event and there will be five different stories. (laughs) That's right. We we remember things differently and we process those memories differently and we retrieve them differently. So even though five people were having the same experience they didn't experience it the same, if that exactly. makes sense. And it comes out different. But I think that um, sharing sharing of memories and experiences through those show and tells with or without the prompts or, or triggers. Um, Faith Gibson, I think, has a whole chapter on different triggers in her book. Um, there have been some really interesting some really interesting work done with doing those kinds of reminiscence sessions as community building to where there's conflict within a community, bringing people together. And um, there was a woman from the UK that um, was in the pilot program for the certificate. And she told about doing uh, group reminiscence sessions in a community that was really having a lot of opposition to immigrants. And mm. so they had recent immigrants that were talking about their experiences. And she told about how people in the community who had seen themselves as anti-immigrant, even though they were immigrants themselves just a long time ago, mm-hmm. started being able to connect to those people's experiences because their experiences as immigrants were very similar to their own experiences as immigrants 70 years ago. And it really helped, um, you know, make connections within that community and help people understand each other and see that they had really much more in common than they had different. So it's really a very constructive process or can be. I mean, you need to, obviously you need a good facilitator. <laughs> and and so that's what um, the program does. It trains people to facilitate these kinds of sessions. Is that right? Well, I don't know that I would say it trains people to do them. It gives them certainly the background to do it. Um, the first the first session or the first class that they take focuses on the the theory and research of reminiscence and life review and then in the second course they move more into practice and application and they conduct a reminiscence session with coaching and feedback from the instructor and then they do a 
capstone uh, practicum where they do a project with assistance from a mentor. But I, I guess I'm hesitant to say that that they get that they're trained to do it. They get the information and resources and background and some chances to practice. And who are the students typically? Who, who are the ones that are coming to do this and what is their objective? It's it's widely varied. Um, we have some who have already started a personal history practice, either um, written or video or audio. Um, we have like the woman that worked in the cancer center. We have people that are doing more of a community history, but they're doing it by um, interviewing the elders from the community. We've had people that do reminiscence work with community groups, which is what the person from the UK did. Um, Some that are doing theater, some that are doing other kinds of group um, reminiscence, some that are doing guided autobiography groups, but they wanted the background in the the Mm. research and theory and practice of reminiscence and life review. So it's really a wide variety of ways of using life story work that are involved. I think that's what makes it interesting in the discussion groups is that you've got people with these um, widely varied ways that they plan to practice. And are these people who are wanting to go out and set up businesses and people who want to go back to their community and do volunteer work? Is it a it is. Is it a mix of, of those? It is, yeah. And what does the program consist of? Is it this is in person or is it online? No, it's online. It's an asynchronous program. So it's not like a webinar where you have to be there you know, at a particular time. It's um, asynchronous so people can work at it whenever works for them. They have to stay current with the assignments. There's weekly assignments that they need to do. And then there's um, online discussion groups where there's a post of something for them to comment on by the instructor. And then they post and then they comment on the others. And um, it gets some pretty detailed discussions going on particular topics and what different people's perspectives are and so forth. And then they have written assignments that they submit to the instructor. Um, It's a non-credit program, but it's a person needs to achieve 70% of the points to Mm -hmm. satisfactory complete. So in the credit world, you would call it a pass fail, but because it's not credit, we don't call it pass-fail. It's just what you need in order to get the certificate. And if you don't um, meet those, you get a chance to make it up. But you need to meet the, the minimum amount of points in the work that you submit in order to earn the certificate. I know here, so I'm, I'm recording this from Kansas City, and I know that the... Um, the uh, Mid-Continent Library System has a certificate program in conjunction with one of the community colleges here, and it's for storytelling. Um, but I think it's it's pretty broad. It's, you know, for um, doing oral history, for doing uh-huh. lots of different types of storytelling. Is that what yours is too, or the certificate program, or is it really just focused in on this certain type of storytelling and, you know, the, the reminiscence and life review? Um. I guess I don't know what that program is. I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't say that this is so much storytelling, although people who are doing like a community history or doing reminiscence theater are certainly storytelling. Um, now, what is reminiscence theater? I haven't heard that term before. Oh, well, it's it's what it sounds like. Um, it's people. It's it's theater that's made up of people's memories, and they're, they they may in some cases be telling their own. Um, there's a program in the UK, and this is going to be really embarrassing that I can't think of her name off the top of my head. <laughs> and these are scripted performances. Right. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting because I have a I have a coaching client who is thinking about doing something very similar, and I think I'm going to have to reach out to her because, like I said, I hadn't heard of the the term reminiscence theater. Um, well, I I did see that um, there is a new book coming out, and I think you are listed as among the contributors. Is that right for the um, the in I have it on my on my computer the International Perspectives on Reminiscence Life Review and Life Story. Work. Yes. Um- the the certificate program um, has a chapter in there um, because it's the first online course in reminiscence and life review. So um, I contributed very little to it. Uh, two of our instructors, Dr. Juliet <laughs> Shulman and um, Dr. Laura Yankura, really did the did the work on it. Well, can you tell us um, a little bit about the conference that you have coming up in, I think, October? November, actually. Um, And it is November 12th and 13th. And then there's pre-conference sessions on the 12th and a post-conference session on the 14th. And this takes place where? It will be in Boston this year immediately before the before the GSA conference. And what is the GSA conference? Oh, the Gerontological Society of America. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, and for so, listeners who may be listening to this sometime in the future, we're talking about November of 2018. Right. And it'll be at the Hilton Boston Bath Motel. And now, is this uh, conference mainly intended for academics or would people who are out there practicing life story writing and recording, would um, would it be beneficial for people like us to attend? I would think it would be of interest. The, the, the pre and post conference workshops, one of them is on um, reminiscing with people you know, in hospice or near end of life. And one of them is um, cultural perspectives and reminiscence. And the third one is pending. So I don't want to commit to that one yet. So those would certainly be of interest. But I think that the presentations that people do on their research related to reminiscence and life review and the outcomes that they're seeing would be of interest. Of interest, like as in um, just sort of getting a background for what we're doing, or are there things that, and you, I, I don't even know if you would know this because you haven't heard the presentations, I'm assuming, but things that we can actually take out in the field and apply? Well, I think they would inform one's application. Um, I don't know that, I guess it depends on what they are, and I don't know what the presentations are because sometimes, for instance, people have developed 
a tool for um, helping people, you know, retrieve memories or helping a, a relative work with somebody. It depends, you know, I'm not knowing what the presentations are at this point, but like a few years ago, we had a presentation um, on um, using reminiscence and life review to help people with post-traumatic stress and mm. how they were able to work that. And I think that while personal historians aren't doing therapy with people with post-traumatic stress, I think they have a chance of running into someone who does. And mm-hmm. they, the person may not even be that aware of it when they initially decide that they're going to do their life story. But that kind of um, trauma can sort of, I don't know if reappear is the nice, is the, the right way to say it, but sort of emerge maybe even unexpectedly to the person. So I would think learning what's known and been researched about reminiscence with post-traumatic stress would be helpful. Yeah, I've I've often thought that it would be nice to have a little bit of a background, some tools in my toolkit to deal with the with those moments, like I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, where um, or of this episode, where you know it tips over into feeling a bit more like a therapy session. And we are not we we as personal historians and life story professionals have to be very clear that we are not therapists, unless right. you know we are. Um, but for for the vast majority of us, we are not. We're we're there to um, um, to listen to their stories and help them record them and create a project to be shared. But it can be hard. It can be hard to know how to deal with things when when you're seeing somebody sitting across from you in pain. Yes. And I think, you know, that um, when, you know, leaders of APH approached, you know, my predecessor, John Coons, years ago, we've, this is the fourth year now that we've run the certificate program. And I think John started working on it like in 2009. So, you know, when they first approached him, that was one of the um, considerations that they Mm -hmm. posed is having people be aware of different ways that people reminisce and what's perhaps healthy and what's not as healthy and um, how to plan for somebody who's getting into where they actually need therapy and how you're going to handle that and how you resume afterwards and stuff. So that was a big part of what um, the leaders of APH wanted in the program was for people to have that background and that depth. Mm. And it makes sense because every every other personal historian that I've spoken with, um, you know, we we all go through it at some point, and pretty much, um, you know, some some storytellers are more fragile than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so for for some, they may tell you something that was traumatic or um, tragic or or sad, and they can handle the telling of it. But you will run across if you if you do this work, you will run across somebody who has a hard time getting through that. And and when I say getting through it, I'm talking about when you're actually mm-hmm. sitting face to face with them, and they're in the grips of an emotion that. Um, 
you know, is just really hard for them to deal with. And so, so it is good to have a plan of action. It, it, but of course, it's never one size fits all. So, you know, you have to, you have to be very intuitive for one thing. And I can see how going through a program like what you're discussing, um, you know, learning about it, having that foundation can really help. If people are interested in going through the program, uh, do they reach out to you? Where, where do they, where do they look for this? Well, actually we have a uh, like a pre-registration site. So if they are interested in the 2019 program, they can sign up and we call it a wait list. And then we notify them when registration opens so that they they can see the description of the program and see everything on it. And it's not registration because obviously nobody's going to pay now for a program that's a year from now. But it it lets them get on the wait list and then we notify them as soon as registration opens and we have a you know an early registration discount and so they get you know they get notified in ample time to take advantage of that and what website would they look at to get on the wait list i'm going to just give them the uws website because our event website is too complicated it's usually <laughs> as a direct link a hyperlink um so if they just go to um, www.uwsuper.edu slash CCE for Center Continuing Education. And they click on our certificate programs, they'll see it. Okay. And I can put the links in the show notes. I can send you the hyperlink oh, that's okay. so that you can just embed it. Okay. But um, the way the, the website looks, it has all these X, Ys, and Zs, and so it looks like somebody's swearing, so I don't okay very good well is there anything else that um people out there who want to go out in the field and start practicing this and and doing life stories with people is there anything else that um they would benefit from knowing from you Um, i don't know that they would benefit from knowing from me but if they go to the the website for the certificate and they look at the books that are required for the course uh, whether you take the course mm. or not, I think you would find those books very helpful. They include Barbara Haight's Structured Life Review, and they include Faith Gibson's Reminiscence and Life Story Work, and they're just really um, good books. When the new one comes out that Faith is um, the editor for, we will probably start using it in the program. And from everything I've seen of the different people who have written for that, it's going to be a great resource for people for learning about all kinds of life story work. Good. Well, and I, I know when I first started doing this, Barbara Hates was one of the very first books that I that I bought. Um, and just a heads up, I believe that it's on your website, the same website, um, that you can download James Beeren and his wife's um, own personal history. So these were memoirs that they wrote about their own life. That's on the, right. That's on the, on the um, reminiscence website and that's just reminiscence and life review.org. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, in um, you know, for, for anybody out there who is just wading into these waters and maybe, you know, you're not quite sure <clears throat> what a life story book is going to look like or should look like. 
James Barron's um, is a really good thing to look at because it's uh, it's conversational in tone, but it hits all of the stories that are meaningful to him. It it spans his whole life. Um, and he was a, well, he did a whole bunch of things in his throughout his lifetime, but he was a gerontologist and he, is he considered the founder of guided right. autobiography? Yes. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not even sure exactly. Yes, yeah. Yeah. But he's, I, I, I really like going through the life story that you can download. It's just a PDF. You don't have to pay right. for it or anything that you can download off of, off of that website. Um, just because it kind of, shows you what your target may be with, um, with a client that you happen to be working with. Um, because it's not, it's clearly not intended to be a, um, a memoir that is for, you know, commercial Uh publication. It's really falls within the realm of what we're trying to do with our clients and our storytellers. The other thing on the reminiscence website is there's a section called the registry and that is many members put their information in there as we would like, but it gives, um, for those who do, it has their areas of research and where they work and um, those kinds of things. So sometimes if you're looking for somebody who's working in a particular area, you can find it by looking at the registry. And these are people who are teaching about uh, reminiscence and life review, or these people? Some are are practitioners, um, and some are personal historians Mm -hmm. now. Um, so, but it's an interesting thing to look at. It's, you know, just a little bio on people. Yeah. I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes for that too. Well, Esther, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Okay. We'll take care and good luck with the conference in November. International Institute for Reminiscence and Life Review. Although it sounds like it's going to be called something possibly different in the near future. If you want to see the links of the things that we were talking about, head over to thelifestorycoach.com and look for episode 22. And if any of you have completed the certificate program that she was talking about, I'd love to hear your feedback on it. Um, Was it helpful in doing work on life stories? Is it something that you'd recommend for the rest of us? Us. You can share your comments at thelifestorycoach.com. Again, it's episode 22. And as always, if this show is helpful, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. That's the best way that other people can learn about the show and learn about this profession of personal history and doing life stories. Thanks for listening. Now go out and save someone's story.